Hello, hello, and good morning, evening, or whatever time of day it is for you all listening. Welcome to AMO Kenzoku. We are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who get together and talk about various topics, uh, usually revolving around anime, manga, and all other otaku culture. Uh, the Kenzoku are myself, Nick. We also have Sam. Hello. Dylan. Hello. And Mike. Hi, y'all. And tonight's episode is being recorded, uh, I believe it is June 2nd, uh, 2022. And I think, is this our ninth episode now? It is. Yeah. It is episode nine. And our topic is conventions. Uh, so before we uh, dive into the topic, I just wanted to make a, uh, a correction uh, from it was either ep seven or eight. But when we were uh, when we basically sidetracked into talking about esports are as being sports, I remember mentioning basically uh, a Japanese player named uh, a Japanese fighting game player named Momochi, who was and I basically claimed that he was you know pushing for. Uh, professional Japanese esports league. It was actually kind of the opposite. Basically, what happened was in 2017, five various uh, Japanese gaming and esports related, I guess, institutions basically merged into a single one, and they basically were going to uh, somehow vet players and determine players of certain skill levels to become pro gamers. And at that point in time, Momochi, who was a very prominent and successful street fighter and other fighting game player had already actually built up his own team and brand and called Shinobism. And he actually voiced concern saying that these people running these organizations uh, may not understand, you know, the, the players and getting the, the longtime players may not trust, you know, kind of these people just barging in and, and claiming to be an esports organization. So he voiced a significant amount of concern about that. So it wasn't so much that he was against uh, professional gaming being kind of legalized in Japan, he just wanted to make sure that the system that was implemented was fair to all parties and that, you know, the uh, it didn't end up becoming some sort of weird, like, uh, I guess, the nepotism thing where only, you know, friends of friends could become professionals. But he wanted to make sure that it was an even playing field. So I just wanted right, to make that like, correction. Or like overly corporate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He wanted to make sure there was a proper like procedure to get licensed, basically. So I want I don't want to make that correction because yeah, uh, I made it sound like he was the one that pushing for this, but he well he was, but in a different manner, basically. So I just wanted to get that <clears throat> get that clarified. Uh, so does anybody else have any other uh, comments or corrections to make before we move on? Okay, doesn't look like it. So uh, before also before moving on to the topic at hand. Uh, we wanted to take another crack at the two truths and a lie segment we did last time. So I think uh, today Dylan has uh, bravely volunteered to to be the uh, two truth and a liar. So let's hear it. I do. And I'm taking a little different direction from uh, last time. Today's two truths and a lie are Yosuke Kuroda's magical girls. So. What? <laughs> yep. So these are three series that Yosuke Kuroda was the series composition writer for. Um, obviously, two of them are ones he was a series composition writer for. One of them, he was not. 
Series gotcha. 1. Magical Project S. Series 2. Fancy Lala. Series 3. Matoy the Sacred Slayer. Which one did he not write? The only one of those three I haven't watched any of is, is Matoy the Slayer. I mean, I've never even heard of it. So is it super old or super new? It must be one of the two. It is from 2016. Okay, so it's pretty new. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. hmm. What were they again? What were the three? Matoy Magical the Project S. So that's yeah. pretty Sammy. So that's the Tension Wave oh, spinoff. Okay. Fancy Lala, or Maho, like? Maho No Stage Fancy Lala, Magical Stage yeah. Fancy Lala, and Matoy the Sacred Slayer, or mm. Shoshin Shoujo Matoy. Fancy Lala was Man. pretty old, wasn't it? I want to say. Uh, Lala is I say. like 96, oh, 96. I think. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Let me bring it up. So that's not too far removed from Project S then, right? Cause... Yeah, because Pretty Sammy, I want to say, was like mid-90s probably. Yeah. Hmm. That's tough. To be honest, yeah, I didn't stumped. I didn't know he was screenwriter for any of them, so I'm just going to guess and say Matoy is, is the one he was not, just because I feel like he was kind of dormant for for a while. I have really hadn't heard of Kuroda, Kuroda creeping up again, honestly, until Birdie Wing. So I feel like he's been uh, a little bit dormant the last few years, but it could just be because I for between like 2008 <laughs> and 2016, I really didn't watch anything, so that might be more why, but... I'll just go ahead and say the, the lie is Matoy. I'm, I'm going to go with that. Hmm. I'm going to go with... Hmm. Fancy Lala. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of just guessing here. And uh, I, I guess I'll go with Magical Project S, just so that one of us is guaranteed <laughs> to be right. Hey, what? I like, I like your strategizing. That's cheating. Mike. I think Fancy Lala's uh, old enough, and I, I want to say that Kuroda's been doing enough stuff and been connected enough that I don't know. No logic at all. I I, I don't know. Fancy, Fancy Lala is 1998. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Fancy. I'm still saying Fancy Lala. <laughs> all right, Dylan. The winner is... Sam with Fancy Lala. He did, in fact, write Magical Project S and the other uh, Sammy and other Tenchi Muyo stuff. He did write Matoy the Sacred Slayer, which seems like it's terrible. He did not write Fancy Lala. However, Fancy Lala has a bunch of other, like, A-list writers. Um, uh, Sadayuki Murai wrote, like, a quarter of the episodes. Um, a whole bunch of other people, you're like, oh, my goodness, everybody wrote. That's why that show ended up being just, like... Uh, so, uh, so good. Um, but no, he did, in fact, did not write, was not the main writer for, uh, for Fancy Lala, but a lot of other great people were. So it's a great show. Interesting. Uh, I remember that name, but I don't remember that show at all. <laughs> I don't know if it honestly ever had a U.S. release, like, at all. Um, but it was, um... It was uh, Mochizuki, Tomomi Mochizuki, uh, was the creator of the show, who was the original director for for 
Ranma one half and uh, here's here's Greenwood and a ton of other stuff and like um, this series yeah and he he was the original creator of it and got a lot of really great uh, great writers and people involved in the show and character designs by Kemi Takata and yeah um, uh, now in 1998 uh, Kuroda was uh, amongst many other things he was writing was like Trigun Trigun oh that's saying that's 98 then he was working on Trigun for sure so that's my uh nice good job took a little different direction from the last time there i i approve i approve it did okay a, a relation english that's why did I it remember. i remember yeah was it was it one of those like super limited ones made like by pioneer before they became genion or something uh, it was released by bondi oh interesting yeah I feel like back then all Bandai was releasing was uh, Cowboy Bebop and Gundam stuff. And that was really <laughs> yeah. they Don't forget a surprising amount, though. Yeah, yeah, they did. Eventually, they they broadened a lot. But just you know, when I'm thinking about the late '90s, I mean, there was already not a whole lot being uh, brought stateside. So yeah, with with Kuroda, I completely. He's written so much stuff. I completely, I didn't even realize he's, he's like the main writer of My Hero Academia. So I'm like, how the heck did he come up with um, Birdie Wing just in between seasons there? Somebody probably slipped him the, uh, the show concept. He's like, I must write for the show. It's probably (laughs) what he said, because it is 100% his kind of show. Not, 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 nothing, not knocking My Hero Academia. My My Hero Academia is great, but I feel like Birdie Wing was... I feel like somebody came up with that show concept for him to write for is, is really what it feels like, Watch having watched like eight episodes of it. And ad- adapting and is going to be a lot easier than... Adapting uh, manga is going to be a lot easier than writing something from scratch, too. Definitely, yeah. That's true. Yep, the other two other shows that came to my... That popped in my head that I completely forgot that he was the main writer on was uh, Kokoro Library or Kokoro Toshokan. <laughs> oh, of course. Our favorite and, library show. And yes. then uh, Infinite Rivius. Oh, yep. yeah. I mean, come on. Infinite Rivius Which is, is like legendary. In oh, this, especially in this circle, right? Yeah, like Gunsword. I mean, you could go on forever. Gunsword, <laughs> yes. Gunsword, yeah. yeah. So he was stuff. on a roll between like, I want to say like oh, circa yeah. 2000 and two through like 2008 that guy was like just writing gold so okay so moving on to the topic of the episode which is conventions um which uh i feel we feel like it's it's a good time to bring it up now that you know especially and uh you know we've been in corona lockdown for a few years now and a lot of people finally just said screw it let's just go back to conventions because you know, at some point, people just want to get back to their everyday lives. So, you know, at this point in, you know, early summer of 2022, there have already been a handful of conventions, I want to say. And then suddenly a whole bunch happened at the same time. Because what, Fanime, Anime Central, and I want to say Anime Boston all pretty much happened within a week of each other. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but let's rewind it a bit and uh, kind of take it back to our roots in conventions so i want to start off this episode with each of us just kind of talking about our you know our first convention you know experiences because we're on the older side of of you know anime fandom now on average probably so we we've kind of seen conventions go from very grassroots 
you know, small scale stuff to these huge, massive, you know, um, corporatized behemoths they are now. So I want to say we all probably started going cons at roughly the same time because uh, we were discussing it earlier and I, I was actually mistaken. My first con actually was Fanime 2000. And I distinctly remember because I went with some mutual friends and I want to say I also went with you, Sam. I want to say that was my first really? first Fanime with that group, yeah. Or mm. um, unless, I'm remor- unless I'm remembering incorrectly, I'm pretty sure... Was that, that was. Ikuhara? Oh, yes, okay, yeah, I, that was yeah, Ikuhara. I did go to that one. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, wait. Okay. Did Ikuhara do twice? Because he was definitely there at my first Fanime, which was two thousand one. Maybe I'm thinking oh one then. I'm, Maybe I could 01. see it's it's so old. It's so long ago now. <laughs> now my my old man brain is forgetting. It's. I distinctly remember going my fresh. Oh wait, if it was my freshman year in college, that would have been. Fanime would have been in 2001. Yeah, that's correct. So it would have been 2001. Yeah, yeah and I remember it being anime. like happening to coincide with spring break that year because they hadn't moved to the modern memorial oh, day yeah. date. That's right. I remember because I was taking spring break down he, down in LA and then I took the train up to San Jose uh, where friends of mine picked me up because I, I I didn't have a hotel room, but I had friends that lived in San Jose, like Cupertino area. So we just crashed at at their house, and then uh, commuted to the con. That so, was yeah. smarter than what I did that year, because I just agreed <laughs> to go at the last minute, and so I think I think Mike should be the first. I think Mike should be the first to regale us with his tale of of anime two thousand one. So please, Mike. Begin. Well, I mean, the details are kind of <laughs> hazy at this point, and I'm not always sure what's o one and what's o two, but o one. Yeah, I can't remember who from the anime club we were all a part of suggested going, but I mean, it might have been one of this group. It might have been some of the people that I was in computer science class with that quarter, because I had a software engineering class with, like, Luke and Cedric and... Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, Pete. I remember Pete. Yeah, we were all in, like, a team for the second order of software engineering, which I can't remember if it was fall, winter, or winter, spring. And so it's entirely possible one of them, maybe Josh, said, hey, there's this con coming. Or it might have been Ben, or it could have been any number of people. <laughs> but where did you sleep, Mike? In the video rooms, mostly the Asian cinema room, because that got pretty quiet at nights. <laughs> Basically, nobody wanted to be there. So I take it this kind of predates cons having like people regularly ousting people <laughs> uh, who were trying to catch catnap in the I mean, in the video it, rooms. They, you know, to an extent they were, but not to the same degree that they are now. I mean, even at the first few years at San Jose Convention Center, you'd catch more people sleeping in the halls outside video rooms then. But they eventually cracked down on that pretty hard. I remember that used to just be like an expected thing almost of like, oh yeah, all these people that just like don't get a hotel room because you're extra broke ass or trying to be hardcore and just literally sleeping in whatever video room they can they can find. And it was almost like an expected thing. And it was like, eh, no one really kicked you out if you weren't like 
causing problems or being truly a, a, abusive of it. I forget what reason I didn't fall asleep in the Asian film room like the last night of Gone, but I remember falling asleep on one of the couches outside, you know, in that main upper level hallway or hallway that they had in the hotel that had the karaoke. So I was just outside the karaoke room they had there. Because I remember being woken up by a few things while I was sleeping on that couch. One was a staffer telling me, look, we don't care if you sleep here, but try to look more awake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, try to to look awake while sleeping, please. God. Yeah, and another was, like, the karaoke room at 3, 4 in the morning doing, um, you know, such middle-of-the-night crowd favorites as, of course, Cruel Angel's Thesis and We Will Win from Robotech. And, I mean, I tried to be responsible by, like, at least taking materials to take sponge baths and keep shaved in the hotel bathrooms, but, um, kids, don't be like me. You, number one, can't get away with it anymore, but number two, it just was pretty miserable, if I'm honest. I mean, it was awesome going to a con. Obviously, I've kept going back to Fanime for every year since, except 03 that I missed for some reason. But, yeah, it's not the recommended way to start. What was, I mean, did we all go to Fanime 01? I I want to say yes. we probably all did. Because I distinctly remember having, like, either a lunch or a dinner at one of the Jap... It was a dinner at a Japanese place that had the fake tatami room where you sat down, but they actually had the big cutout to dangle your feet from, so you didn't have to try to sit with your knees tucked under. I distinctly remember that lunch, and it was like, yeah, us, uh, the whole the whole officer crew, a bunch of tangential friends. I mean, gosh, I, I remember even Shane went, and Shane never, like, joined us for anything. Yeah. <laughs> so... I forget. Do you remember whose idea it was to put the card brow- cardboard... Furikuri eyebrows onto Yamaga-san. Oh, that was oh, that was Paul. I think his name was Paul. I, he was like yeah. really active in club for a while because he went as the the oh god, I feel so bad. What was that character? He was the the investigator guy in Furikuri. I can't remember his name, but who had the huge eyebrows and oh, yeah, yeah. He, he he Yamaga saw him and I guess he convinced them to put him on and took a photo. This is an O one. I remember that photo. Yeah, I want to say that was O one. Maybe that wasn't. wasn't I'm that pretty one? sure that was a one. Because yeah, I I remember Sam because you were the one bringing the the Furikuri R twos like as contraband in the club, and we were all uh, mesmerized by it because it actually had English subtitles at least after F two. Yeah, I feel like uh, I I think I saw F one and two of Furikuri at that fanime. Was it that one? And then I started buying them and brought them to club. Oh, man. Man, we're all suffering from dementia, apparently. Yeah, right? Goodness. <laughs> yeah, I just remember that was Ikuhara was there that, that year. Uh, yeah, I remember Ikuhara huge. with, like, very noticeable hair. Mm-hmm. And tight leather pants. That's what I remember. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so when we talk about Ikuhara here, we're talking about Kunihiko Ikuhara, the director of... Uh, uh, Utena and Sailor Moon R and S. And at that time, he was attempting to kind of like shift his career and work out of like work and live out of Los Angeles. So he would literally just like show up at like 
every single, at least every single West Coast convention for like five years or so. It was like, oh yeah, Ikuhara is there. Yep. Oh, yeah. Ikuhara is there. Oh yeah, and Ikuhara is there. And the first time you're like, oh, it's Ikuhara. This is awesome. The guy's Drake's crazy stuff. He's really cool. And they're like, yeah, he's he's been at every convention we've been to ever. He's he's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was also Mari Ijima at the time. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, one of the things I was kind of was looking at and looking at the uh, apparently there's a whole website now, animecons.com, and they have they have Ooh. stuff with with reasonable guest lists, and even and back thus far they have like um, back around to like ninety nine two thousand. And then further forward, it probably gets more accurate. They have estimated attendance for the conventions. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. I think, and I'm not sure, I think the first con I went to, just looking at what's here and what I feel is correct, I'm not sure, I think was Anime Expo 2000, um, which was at the uh, which was at the Disneyland Hotel. The first um, what? I think that Anime Expo 2000 was the first one I went to. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm still super salty a long time later that I did not go to Anime Expo 99 because Yoko Kano was there <laughs> and played. And I probably could have gone, but I was just I was just a, a super, super weeb there without even a way to get down there. And I'm still upset about that. Yeah, we all have those those uh, regrets. I, I just distinctly remember being really excited for AX. I believe this was 04 when Yuki Kajura um, did her, her concert. And yeah, I ditched all my friends. I mean, none of them were interested in going, but I was like, I am waiting in line for this concert if it kills me. And I lined up like three and a half hours early and I got, I got a baller seat. And I, I remember my ears were ringing horribly the rest of the week, but it, I didn't care because that was before I realized you're supposed to bring uh, earplugs too. Well, I was thinking, you know, she's not going to play live music, but since she came with her guitarist, who's like this, like, you know, dude, like, baller guitarist, Japanese guitarist from, you know, who probably been playing since, like, the 70s, and God, he has amp cranked way up. So, yeah, his guitar solos were freaking loud, but... Worth it. Uh, yeah, that was definitely worth it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I guess for besides Dylan, all, most of us are first cons were uh was fanime 01 and then i want to say following that a lot of us attended ax various axs and various fanimes and actually after for several years right actually my first con was uh i was remembering this just today that my first was uh otakon 2000 oh snap oh that's, that's right nice. because you were you were out in the midwest for a while weren't you yeah 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 otakon's in baltimore though, right yeah yeah my at the time my dad lived in um just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, and so I was out there at the time that the uh, convention was going on, and I convinced him to take me and my brother over there. And we went, that was, I, as I was, I was going through old photos, actually, this year, and I found some pictures we took of the convention, uh, going around, seeing people's costumes. And I think all I really did was, uh, I went to the dealer's hall, and then I remembered uh, they were showing Kari Kano there. And, you know, like back oh, in the day man. when you actually went to video rooms to watch anime. And, like, I basically that's how I've watched Kari Kano. And <laughs> to be honest, I think that's still the only way that I've really seen most of Kari Kano. <laughs> I saw the whole thing that way. 
Um, but it was cool because it was on like, a, it was in like, a, not a real theater, but it was like in a, uh, almost like a, a gymnasium like setting, but you know, it was at a convention center and they had a big giant uh, screen up showing it on a projector. It was really cool. And that's pretty much all I remember about. Oh no, that's right. I did get, um, I got an Elaine art book and I got it signed by the director because he was there. And I went to that yep. panel. Oh, I was about to say, oh, did you get a sign by Abe? Yep, Abe was at Otakon 2000. Oh, was guess he? Who Maybe else... I have his autograph then. <laughs> I don't remember. G- guess who else was there? Ikuhara. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that was the other thing is because uh, they were screening Utena, and I didn't really know what Utena was at the time. And I saw people lining up to see the movie. At least I'm pretty sure that was a movie at that time. Um, but I didn't get why people were lining up. I didn't get what the big deal was. But, of course, now I know. They just really wanted to see people turn into cars, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> they did not know what they were getting So, at. So, yeah, so that's something worth discussing to any of our younger uh, listeners is back in the aughts, basically, really the only way to see new, like, brand new or, you know, kind of niche anime was through screening. Because, I mean, unless you kind of knew somebody who knew somebody, getting you know, secondhand fan subs was not exactly easy. Um, even to this day, I still really was, uh, I'm not certain how people got access to certain tapes and such, because I, I never really got super deep into the, 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 the fan sub stuff because I, I had the luxury of being able to watch stuff raw, but, um, so yeah, like this is how people discovered shows, right? Is they actually would go to viewing rooms and, at, at conventions and being like, I've never heard of this before. Let's watch it. But these days, I mean, you know, with, especially with, with everything streaming, simul, simulcasting, I, I feel like that, that element of it is, is completely, I wouldn't say, I would say almost completely gone. Do, do they even have viewing rooms for like anime anymore these days? Is anime that normally does, but did not this year. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, they... I'd say we're like half or two thirds of a con this year. Like entire departments just did not happen. Masquerade, uh, music fest, video programming, hmm. all gone this year. Masquerade and and music fest, I think, is because they probably couldn't get the civic center since that's decoupled from the convention center. Is my suspicion? Either couldn't get it, or I suspect also just visa issues with Japanese guests because they had no oh, 100%, real yeah. Japanese guests this year aside from one who was virtual. I, If I was a Japanese guest, I would not want to... A, I would not want to travel outside of Japan because even if it was to a country that was COVID-safe, and let's be real, we're one of like the least COVID-safe countries of industrialized countries. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and people in Japan are just hyper-scared of it still. And two, coming back, they'd have to quarantine for like 10 days or something. Like, it'd be a huge nuisance for them to have to do that. And also for performers, right? Like, their voices singing is like such a critical, like, commodity for them that the risk of catching COVID is, you know, probably just unacceptable, right? I'm sure their management would be like, no, we aren't letting go to the U.S. to play. That's ridiculous. So I would suspect that that's going to be that way for for a while still and any japanese guests will be remote only is is what i'm thinking yeah but nobody cares about the guests anyways right <laughs> yeah so i guess that's the other thing right so it's for for us i feel like we're kind of like uh not a great 
cross-section of the kinds of people that enjoy cons because you know cons but nice thing about cons is there's there's all sorts of stuff to do right if you want to buy stuff they have big dealers halls if you and uh artist alleys right so you can check out all these awesome you know um like artists who and you know their interpretations of various anime characters and their wares and stuff or if you just if you want to um go to panels right i feel like for us mostly it's about panels right especially with uh, mm-hmm. these international guests these these creators right these the directors artists voice actors what have you um i feel like for the for the four of us that those were always a big deal and then you know maybe on the side some other frivolous stuff like gaming rooms and and whatnot but um and maybe uh, and for a period of time probably cosplay as well i feel like co- one of the one of the mainstays from anime conventions that has existed as long as probably conventions have been around till now is cosplay right cosplay has always been incredibly oh, yeah. front facing and and cons and i mean gosh you look you look at like ax attendees these days and like you would assume that like every professional cosplayer on yeah. planet earth goes to ax with the number of amazing cosplays you see there now I think that it's, is probably it's true incredible. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, that probably is true, but also just, I think the accessibility to like being able to do high level cosplay these days is a lot higher because yeah. it's so popular now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say same time that seems to dissuade more people from doing not high level cosplays. Yeah. So my, that's kind of what I was thinking too, is also the ability to just purchase yeah. that the bulk of like com- uh, uh, let's call it common cosplays right like popular characters like these days you can go searching online and you can just basically find the you know the all of the the hakama for uh, uh, uh the the hashira from demon slayer right demon slayers right mm-hmm. and then you just have to find the wig get some contacts get a toy sword and boom you're you know you're oh gosh why can't i name any of them you're rengoku now right like it's <laughs> it's not super hard you don't have to make it by hand obviously there are professional cosplayers and very high level cosplayers who still make everything by hand and are incredible at it i'm not you know belittling those people's skills but i feel like the ability to cosplay very accurately is the bar is set pretty low now if you're willing to throw money at it which is kind of awesome like i I love that you don't like if you want to cosplay but you really don't have the time or interest to develop the skill hey yeah just yeah throw down some money go to taobao or whatever and buy a costume and wear it for a day and then you know move on or you can spend uh months before the con um really with all your work done in the days before the con i'm making a super elaborate costume (laughs) Uh, and yeah i mean i think it's great that everybody can there's room for everybody to basically have a decent costume um uh but please uh at least iron your costume after you take it out of the bag (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to see your square creases in your your outfit other than that go wild yeah i i mean i haven't attended con since 2016 so it's been a while now but yeah i want to say like the number of what's the word i'm looking for uh interpretive cosplays seems to have gone down if you if if that Mm. makes any sense like i remember i feel like back in the day you used to see a lot of people basically take like two characters and mash them together and then just go as you know hey i am i am goku with bobobo's afro and they'd be like yeah that's a thing that i saw and it was like pretty normal i want to say in like the aughts till like even to like the 2010s probably well, you're seems... reminding me of the um, P- 
pinata that Fanime had, was it, must have been 01 or 02, something, back when pinatas of characters people wanted to destroy were a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I want to say they crossed Mokana and Pikachu into Mokachu. Mokachu, yeah, I remember that. That was a skit, right? That was, that was a real, I want to say that was one of the better Masquerade skits that year. Might have been. Speaking of, so, like, I, I mean, I guess, again, our, my, at least my lens is pretty limited because I literally only ever attended um, Fanime's Masquerade, so I really don't know if that's, like, a thing at other cons. Um, I know, Dylan, you attended a few Sakura cons. Uh, Sam, you obviously went to Autocon, but I don't think you probably would have gone to the Masquerade no, at that no, point. didn't so, even know it existed. But was that, was that a thing, Dylan, up in SakuraCon? Like, something like Masquerade at Fanime? Um, I think it might have been, but I was not interested in that, and I was basically just doing the usual thing and just hanging around with all of the Japanese guests as much as I could, and then walking back to my apartment after the convention. Um, yeah, I'll be honest and say the only reason I was still going to Fanime Masquerade by that point was the, um... Nina no blank puppy group. <laughs> yeah, so basically you were showing support for our friends and fellow club members. Like, pro- honestly, that was me too. I mean, I, per- yeah. I, I, there definitely were some, some uh, masquerades that were really, really entertaining. Um, so I guess full disclosure between, oh gosh, what years were that? Was it probably between 2000 and I want to say nine to like 2016, I was, uh, I was staff for Fanime. So I, I basically was an interpreter for Fanime. Um, just kind of by random happenstance, basically somebody who happened to be a, showing up to our club at that time just happened to mention that. Fanime was trying to get more staff and volunteers, and I just threw it out, like, hey, you guys need interpreters? Because that's all I'm really interested in doing. He's like, actually, yeah. So I ended up just kind of getting it in that way. And it was pretty freaking awesome, not going to lie. Um, those were both some of the most stressful and awesome um, cons of that I can remember. But uh, one of the things was because there, was a, there wasn't a whole lot of things for the guests to do in between their guest duties. Um, one of the big things was like, oh, you should attend Masquerade because it's like a big thing. So I would basically be forced to attend Masquerade with the guests <laughs> of honor. And not going to lie, at first I was kind of thinking like, oh, no, not this again. But it was actually there was actually some like really, really I, I'm impressed with that's when I realized I'm just generally impressed with anime fandom's ability to come up with clever ways to you know, either basically meme or entertain, you know, in some way, shape or form. Like, I want to say circa 2014, maybe. I distinctly remember there was, there was basically a pair of skits where um, it was like the, the, like the ninth, it was like maybe, I'm making the numbers up. It was like the ninth skit. It was literally like a Dragon Ball fight where like Goku and Vegeta were doing their thing. And, uh, you know, they were, they were fighting and doing, you know, the, the punching and air and all that. And then, um, you know, one of them gets kicked into like a, a paper mountain in the background, and then they like they actually b- blow through it and it explodes, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's pretty funny." And then like six skits later, there's another skit, and the the announcer goes, "Last time on Dragon Ball Z," and it's literally it's a it's a different um a group of people, but they literally do a continuation of that skit from earlier as like you know oh, a, a follow up skit. That was a very clever way to like kind of you know. 
Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Spoof, yes, yes, spoof like an Epa Dragon Ball by having a gap in between of other skits and stuff like that. And I remember seeing them like, wow, that's super clever. I never would have thought of that. So, you know, I, I think masquerades are cool. It's a great way for fans to kind of like express themselves in, you know, ways other than just like costumes. And it's it's nice because the, I mean, the, the hit rate's like, I don't know, one in 10, but like that one in in those 10 it's like amazing and it's a really cool experience but yeah, you have to sit through nine others is that skits have largely declined as masquerade entries yeah i think and I, what i will say is i think what happened at there was a point in time where it kind of became an arms race where some of the skits became incredibly elaborate performances so less skits and more like Let's let's say like more like music videos, really, right? Like just incredibly well choreographed, great costumes, great you know choreography and great dancing and everything, and you know incredible just to watch and, and great spectacles. But I think that started an arms race where you know a bunch of groups started to do that, and it kind of pushed out people's willingness to do something kind of dumb and silly because like, well, we don't want to be like the crappy skit when literally every other one is like a freaking potential entry into x factor or something right like that's what it kind of felt like it became after a while was the, and also the... just the time limit got chopped shorter and shorter i think in part because mm. there were so many skits i see i see that's probably related to it too and then that might have something to do with it because certainly what you can do in i'd swear some of the you know the club groups early skits were edging on five minutes give or take and I know it had been cut down to 2 minutes 30 as far as allowable skit length by some point. Yeah, I'm surprised 5 minutes was ever a lot. That seems incredibly long if you have, you know, 30 yeah. entries. That's yeah. already a, uh, it's 150 minutes. I mean, there's <laughs> a reason they always ran yeah. late. That's this is I, true. That's what I feel like I this remember. I, this, some, I didn't never go into a ton of masquerades, but even the ones I remember going to in the early 2000s was like, oh, masquerade, it's like... Four hours. It's, it's supposed to be three hours, and it runs like four okay, or five it hours. It must have been four minutes looking at the time on those videos, because they're like four minutes 15, four minutes 22, including announcements. So Four so, minutes is still a long skit, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I agree. And kind of, I guess, tang- re- tangential to um, Masquerade's, uh, I feel like the one of the at least at AX one of the big spectacles back when you know I was going a lot was uh, was anime music video contests. I feel like those were a huge deal in like the aughts and the even up to like the two thousand you know two thousand early two thousand tens. I want to say AMVs were still pretty hot commodities, but um, do they even have AMV contests anymore at cons? Boy, I haven't I tried to go to one for long enough. If they do, they're certainly not as prominent. And I feel like so. I I mean, I I actually just because I was curious, I have the Anime Boston website up, and they have on their thing AMV contest with rules and stuff. So they have a bunch of rules around it, but they still. Would you mind reading off the rules? Just I, uh, I would because kind of... they're very long. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if they have like limitations on like. There's a story you know, for every one of, of those. Let, yeah, let's see here. Uh, 
a, a couple of the content rules. 75% of the footage in an entry must be from an animated show or video game that originate from, originate from Japan, comma, are directly based on properties originating from Japan or have a significant influence from anime. Like examples of other things, there's like Voltron, Legendary Defender, and Avatar The Last Bender. Entries may not contain any footage containing a watermark. <laughs> no Divix watermark? <laughs> no Divix. No, no Divix. Entries cannot, may not contain subtitles from any commercial or, or fan <laughs> sub-release. You may add your own subtitles. Uh, entries may not contain audio from the commercial English dub of the anime. <laughs> At least seventy five percent must be AMV. must be sent to, yeah. to to music. Videos may not be collection of shorts. AMV hell style <laughs> videos are not eligible for entry to the contest. I was, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, AMV health. Uh, basically, has to be PG thirteen, and you can't contain any titles, logos, credits during or after the video. Basically, cut all that crap out. Um, hmm. So they still they still have it with judges and stuff there at least Anime Boston. I was curious and then and then just so you know as well, they have a separate set of rules for the hentai AMV contest additional oh, rules. Yeah, that is the only one that I saw heard vague mention of. I think some of the current club members were planning on going to that one. So if anime had HMVs of some sort, whatever keeps interest alive. I mean, I understand like hentai viewing rooms as a thing, but why, why, why music videos? I it's just, just an, I'm, it's another just way to show it. It, exi- it, it exists, hence yeah. you must make a new, you must transform it into something else. I guess. I mean, well, also, I'm not hating, it's but... a space for like some of the music videos from '80s, '90s gory OVA properties end up in HMV by default. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I also wonder if for for the HMV stuff, if it's a place where people can share and get it watched in some ways, because that's stuff that certainly isn't going to get allowed to be put up on YouTube. That's true. You can't stream that stuff, really. I guess there's. I guess you have a good point, huh? I mean, you can't. It's not like you can stream it on any of the legit sites. So (laughs) it's the final fan subs. I never really thought about it. So. Because obviously it's still being made, right? I mean, it's, it's it has to be. There's there's a voracious yeah. amount of consumption for it worldwide, I'm sure. So I want to say... It's the only thing that people still fan sub, I think. Uh, oh yeah, probably, right? Like, I want to say it's probably one of Japan's number one exports is pornography <laughs> yeah. in all its forms. So. Yes. Huh. Food for thought. Taking taking off that, I was thinking back to the kind of this because we're kind of still in this kind of early two thousands thing. Another thing that was like a big thing back then that I remember that I would go to in between the um, Japanese guest stuff was sh- like uh, release announcements and like trailers oh, yeah. and stuff from shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That was like That's a huge. big deal, and like these days, it's it's not even a thing because it's just, Hey, here's the new season of stuff that's literally airing in Japan and between three or four different companies. Yeah. Here, everything is being subtitles and brought out on within, you know, at most, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something basically of it airing in Japan, but um, release announcements are a thing from a couple of companies. One of them is Discotech. 
Is that for newer or older stuff? Older stuff. That's the thing. Cause this was always for like, this was for like newer yeah. stuff there where it's like, I remember going to the, at, um, anime expo. I'm not sure it was, I know it was at the long beach convention center. It might've been 2001. Yeah. Yep. Probably it's 2001. And, uh, they were there and they were showing trailers for and announcing, um, or actually it might've been 2002. Uh, anyways, um, they were, um, it was 2002 because Shoji Kawamori is there because they were doing uh, trailers and stuff for Arjuna mm. and being like, hey, yeah, we're bringing this to the U.S. And it was like, hey, this is really exciting. There's a new show. So that's not mm-hmm. uh, that's I, I just assume that can't be a thing anymore because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, um, I mean, I think technically the major companies have panels, but like. And they may even try and make some announcements as events, but it's certainly not the same thing to the same degree. Like, Discotech's release announcements are exciting because they're you never know exactly what they will grab and turn up there. Like, Finding the Film for Echo was one of their announcements on their virtual web stream panels, though they save some stuff for con panels, too. Yeah, but I feel like that's the they're like the exception. Yeah, not the they rule, are right? definitely the exception, not the rule. Like I, I distinctly remember going to like ADV panels and you know other like major distributor panels yeah. being like, and here's our trailer reel, and you'll see you know like oh here's the U.S. premiere of yeah. I mean, whatever. it's shocking so. that Fanime had that for the first couple years that I went to it because certainly by the time they made it to San Jose, they had much decreased industry announcements and presence. I was always bitter that like um, Viz would have a panel at Fanime and then announce basically nothing. And then like <laughs> a month later, they would go to Comic-Con and then announce a ton of stuff. And it's like, what the heck? <laughs> you could like throw me I some mean, crumbs. <laughs> Fanime was always kind of like the redheaded stepchild con though right even yeah even yeah, yeah. now like it's 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 vastly overshadowed by AX right. I mean AX oh, is yeah. just this disgustingly large you know like job of the hut actually want promotional release announcements even going to crunchyroll expo in the same venue a couple months later is where you'll see the industry involvement well yeah now we're in in the future right like yes (laughs) that was actually crunchyroll is a good convention for that stuff but in the past yeah fanime was never really a player in that game i was just always bitter because fanime is the one i went to all the time (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, same. I mean, they were a player in the very early 2000s when there were far fewer players, but eventually yeah. there were so many anime cons that it's like the announcements got saved for the really important ones. So I've got a question. Uh, what is the es- What was the estimated attendance at Fanime Con 2001? I want to say it was either thirty-seven fifty or forty-seven fifty. I was going to guess like four thousand. Yeah, that, that's pretty close. At least according to the anime cons, they're they're estimated as about thirty-five hundred. So your your guesses are just as close. Um, and what is it? I think let's look at at least the numbers they have uh, here for Fanime. 2019 their estimated attendance is 34,000 what wow that's what they say no. here no way okay I, I, that's what i'm saying i thought like, fanime never could crack 25k is what 
the number I heard from my uh, upper higher up staffer friends because that was the attendance cap for the convention center was what I was told. So then your yeah, numbers had are, a hard cap. Your numbers are probably more accurate. Maybe that's like total attendance across like multiple days or something like that. Maybe I, I uh, remember by 2019. I mean. I yeah, was no longer to... doing. I was also no longer staff in 2019. So yeah, maybe the I numbers feel changed. like they may have managed to. Uh, they did redo the convention center, so it's possible it had a higher cap ah, by the late. That's 2000s, that's very possible because yeah, my my information my information ends at pretty much 2016. So yeah, had they redone uh, the library yet to make that? another both second and first floor exhibit space or where was artist alley the last year you went to fanime artist alley the last year was that expanded um area in the upper medicine mezzanine area is what i remember that was my last year it was in that it was right across from dealers hall if i yeah that new area that had just opened because before then they had like that 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 happened it bumped up the cap Oh, that's possible. Yeah, because I also, even though I was staffed till 2016, the the hard cap number discussion, I remember having that more towards like 2012. So that information is probably a decade old. So yeah, it's very possible that the cap went up by 10K given the expansions they made to that convention. Yeah, and how they pushed all the panels out to um, Fairmont at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of... Interesting, Luke. Some other, like I'm looking back at you know these attendances. They say they have the correct number, but who knows? But it's it's close enough. But I'll go back to NMXO '96, which we're all gonna feel sad we weren't there because uh, both both Hideki Anno uh, and Mamoru Oshi were at AX '96. Oh my goodness! Yeah, AX '96 has the guest list of all guest lists. Yeah, and and if you were one of the, they say 2,900 people that was there, you 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 know had a good chance to have Anno not answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in 96, he would have been a very, very angry man. Yeah, I think that was the Ava where he said, like, or the Ava panel where he said something like, you don't like the ending? Too bad. But it's kind of interesting because they say, like, 96 was, they say, I'll call it 3,000. 97, and this is all Animax, so they go basically 3,800. 98, they estimate 4,800, 99, 6,400, so fairly steady increasing. 2,000 just kind of keeps going more. They're saying like 9,700, 2,001 up to 13,000, like 2,002 up to 15,000, up to like 2019 where they're saying, I don't know whether it's they're quoting in a single day or multiple days where they're saying over a hundred thousand. No, that's totally true. Uh, AX, this I also know because I had friends that were staffers for both. AX never actually put a hard cap. So they would just basically accept as many uh, registrations as people want. And that's one of the major criticisms I hear from it because I have, I have younger friends when I say younger, like late twenties, early thirties friends who still try to go to AX. And they said it's quite literally a gamble on if you're standing in a line to go to something, if you're, you're ever going to get in because it's, it's yeah, like, I've it's like comic-con. That. It's just, it's literally an ocean of people at registration and it's just pure madness. Um, I'm so glad I 
stopped trying to go to AX after 2008, I want to say, because Comic-Con ever since better. they moved to any 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 as soon as they moved to LA Convention Center, it's in my opinion, it was no longer something I wanted to attend. So, at least Comic Con is like super organized about stuff. Uh, yeah, Comic Con also the San Diego that whole area is kind of the infrastructure is designed to kind of be able to handle that many people. Um, downtown LA is not. <laughs> That's the other thing is the LA Convention Center is in a horribly inconvenient location. All the hotels are very far away, so you have to shuttle in. Um, you know, in the era of Airbnbs, it's a little bit better, but it's still not great because you have to still drive and, you know, parking in downtown LA is atrocious. It's probably the worst out of any any part of LA. Uh, and LA is already terrible for parking. So I, I honestly don't know how people handle doing AX. Uh, I, I simply don't have the patience and energy to deal with that many people so uh good good for for those people that can do attend and have fun but yeah i i haven't had a desire to go to x for a very long time now yeah that's that's not making me want to uh take the trek out take the trek out west yeah 2007 2008 is about when people started telling me not to bother when i kept saying yeah well i've been saying i'll make it to ax next year since 2001 that was that was when they were estimating about forty three thousand attendants. Jeez, it's that's that's a that's a lot of it's, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of taco, a lot of a lot of beans in that taco shell. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of yeah. sweaty bodies. <laughs> yes, a lot of sticky otaku bodies. But uh, I I don't want to like I I I, I kind of turned into like an AAX like hate rant by me, which was not necessarily my intent, but just i guess it's more um it doesn't make sense to me to have a convention have unlimited uh registration but not expand the offerings because it still has all the same stuff but now your chances to enjoy it are you know are diminished because you're waiting in such catastrophically long lines so that's my major criticism is they haven't really added more value to the convention. So it seems like they're just collecting a lot more registration fees without really adding a lot of value outside of, you know, they, they do get monstrous guests from time to time, but good freaking luck getting into those panels. I remember I did go to the first AX at uh, uh, the LA Convention Center, and that was my last AX. I was also, I also like feel like I was cursed because that was also AX, the AX that totaled my car. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that freaking sucked. Um, <laughs> but I remember uh, Seki Tomokazu was one of the guests, and obviously, probably still, even one of the biggest VAs that could possibly get. Right, like I, for anybody who doesn't know, he was, gosh, what has he done? He was Sagara Sosuke in Full Metal Panic. He was uh, Kyo in Fruits Basket, the first series. He was. Uh, it was somebody in Fushigi Yugi. Like he was, I'm I'm bad. I know he's. Anyway, he's in a lot of stuff. Is is what I was saying. He was incredibly popular, especially back then. And I remember lining up for his panel, rolling a dice. We, I got in, but I was standing at the back of the room. And no joke, this room probably had like three thousand people in it. And normally, the cool part about going to panels is being able to ask questions. Well, when there's three thousand ravenous fans in there uh it's 
basically impossible to get a question asked. And so the way they went about it was it was a lottery system. They had the first like X hundred people write questions on pieces of paper, and then they threw it into like a bin and they just pulled random questions out. So uh, that was really can dumb. you can you save yeah. my can you save a famous line from Fruits Basket, please? Yeah. Well, could you can and wait? Could could you say it loud enough so I can record it on my DS? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I remember. This was also when they were. Uh, he was brought by Genion because Genion was pushing uh, Tanjo Tenge, and he was the he was voicing uh, Takayanagi. So that's I remember now. Yeah, because they literally they played the first episode of Tenjo Tenge, and that was half of the freaking panel, oh, and I, I was so irritated because I'm like. Everybody has seen this already. Yeah, you're yeah. wasting a precious hour of a half of the hour just showing us something we already probably have seen. But I get it. They they paid for. It. They want to you know they wanted to hawk their wares. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I I will say though that's one of the charming parts of um, guest panels that I miss are like the horribly like just tone deaf and cringy questions. I actually miss those <laughs> because. <laughs> Yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like there's a handful that we that we still we, the good questions are great, right? But we don't remember the good questions. You remember no. the really really awful ones, right? Yeah. I mean, what was yeah, one of what... your favorite ones you had to translate to and from? Oh no! <laughs> you can you can. Think I was about lucky. That. I was pretty lucky in that. Um, in all the panels that I got to work and with all the guests the general um like all the fans were pretty polite and asked reasonable questions with the glaring exception of one and i remember this because i had the damnedest time trying to paraphrase this in japanese so the guy it was the question was for seiji mizushima who was uh who's directed a bunch of stuff i mean he directed uh the original full metal alchemist he directed the original shaman king he directed a whole bunch of stuff he's an awesome dude i love the guy one of the best guests ever super nice um uh his wife's awesome too she's super cool but anyway i direct us uh, it was in one of his panels and this this gentleman comes up and asks something to the he asked a really esoteric question it was like uh I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying something to the effect of, do you find uh, that as a director, it's better to to uh, to crack the whip or dangle the carrot? I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, it was worded much longer. And so I, I had to paraphrase it quite a lot because there's, you know, I, there's only so many like transliteral things I can do in Japanese. So I basically paraphrased it for Mizushima-san too. Do you find it better to uh, motivate your, you know, your staff by yelling at them a lot and, and, and demanding stuff or being super nice and, you know, trying to reward them? And he was like, oh, yeah, uh, it's definitely you get better results when you uh, reward them. But once in a while, you have to, like, piss your staff off. And I actually got one of the good, better answers because he says once in a while, you have to piss your staff off to get better results <laughs> because... He, and then he he went on to tell a cool little anecdote about uh, he had just he's a he was a big uh, Marvel like Marvel comic book fan and a Marvel cinematic universe fan and at that, that point um, Iron Man I think only Iron Man one had come out and he was like yeah he was like I remember the the weekend you know I, over the weekend I watched Iron Man and then 
the next Monday at the studio, I came in and said, hey, everybody, we should try to make, like, you know, a, sh a show with the CGI level Iron Man. They all just told him, go to hell and die. Like, we can't do that. That's way too expensive. That's way too hard. And But, you know, he felt like making that bombastic request actually got some pretty good results. So he said there is a time and a place to kind of, like, irritate your staff, but also make sure that you reward them because, you know, anime is a very thankless industry. You don't get rich from doing anime. That's one thing that... that a lot of people I don't realize is like most people who work in anime, unless you're all like one of the 0.1% like absolute, you know, hit after hit maker and everybody wants you like, you know, the, 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 the shoujo cover movies of the world or just, you know, like you're one of those superstar um, directors or something. You aren't really making a ton of money in anime, especially if you're an artist, like they, they really don't make very much money um, because the the funding to for anime has already run so paper thin. I mean, especially if it's like a full twenty. I think that's one of the reasons why recently we've been seeing a lot of shows pivot into the half season length or even less, like ten ep length, because they'd rather uh, make you know a few episodes very high quality than try to stretch a budget paper thin and end up with you know twenty four to twenty six episodes of mediocre quality. Mm -hmm. um, I sincerely think that's kind of the the take that a lot of um, production studios are taking now is better to make a few high quality episodes than try to make you know a whole bunch of mediocre quality ones which i'm a fan of i'd rather have um probably have a lot of risk aversion in there too right like yeah that's that's also that's also true real um, money's in being a studio head yes and real money is in the merch i mean that came from <laughs> yeah. yamago's mouth himself right he specifically said you know whenever we wanted to get around the funding and we just make more merch so um, let's see here. So we actually are running a hair over. So, uh, me thinks that maybe, uh, this, obviously this topic warrants more, more discussion. So I'm thinking we do, we'll continue, uh, next episode. So, uh, anybody have any last little quick, quick asides before, uh, we, we take a break. I just want to say that I think, uh, the DBZ silk shirts uh, were actually pretty cool, <laughs> um, but unfortunately, uh, like Hitler's mustache, um, it's forever ruined. Oh, you mean like the shirts like Vegeta wears that people then go and wear like whatever no, no, Dragon no. Ball Z style shirts at conventions, and then it's like wearing a no, Tommy no, no, Bahama no, no. shirt. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen those? That there was a, a period of time in the two thousands when you could buy these like silk like Hawaiian shirts with I think it DBZ was a hot topic thing, but I could be very wrong. I, I don't know where the source was, but they were around for a, a while. And uh, now I think they're cool, but uh, you can't wear them. Just, it, it won't work. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, and I agree. All right. So uh, thank you. Thank you all for listening. Um to this episode. This is uh, AMO Kenzoku signing off. Saraba.